not sure if, oh, hey, it's working. Sweet. Now I don't have to yell for 30 minutes. This is great. Or 50 minutes, depending on how it goes. We'll be optimistic. We'll say an hour. No? Okay. <laughs> Two hours, Chris says. Okay, well, it's his fault. All right. Well, listen, before I, before I, I get to the message, I, I want to take 10 to 15 minutes maybe just to explain to you what I did this week, what, what God did and what he showed me. And I want you, I mean, this week I got excited about what God is doing. And so I, I want you to be excited about what God is doing and where God is taking us and how we get to be a part of that. So I'm not sure if our PowerPoint is working, but um, okay, good. So I, on Thursday, well, Monday, we had our CFC meeting, our Calvary Family of Churches monthly meeting, and Chris went with me and Matt up there, and that's always a great time. Sit in fellowship with Mark Callick and Jeff DeClue and all the pastors in the CFC that come, and just to be built up and see what God is doing in all the churches in our network, it's, it's, it's unbelievably great. But then Thursday, I got invited to go to a Colorado Sin Network Summit up in Denver, so my second trip up to Denver in a week, which is always fun, and uh, I honestly, when I went there, I had no idea why I was invited to go. Um, I didn't. I didn't even know what it was about. It was like, oh, you'll see. Okay, well, this is great. I thought we were going to have a bunch of pastors there from around the state, but it ended up where there were just a few pastors there, and uh, it it was an unbelievably great time to hear what um, the, CF, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, what we are doing, uh, not only as a national convention, but as a state, what God wants us to do. So the first thing that we learned was that the national convention has decided that they want to move God's kingdom 1% over the next 10 years. And I, I know the, the second two lines are a little bit difficult to see, but their desire, so when we think of 1%, sometimes we might not think that that's a lot, but let's put that in perspective, that there's like 570 million people, if you will, in the nation right now, and uh, and of those, about 85% of that total we would consider to be unsaved, so over 4 million people in our country are unsaved. So if we, if we multiply that by 1%, well, maybe I have the numbers off a little bit. Let's just go with this. That if we, if we, so, let's, so the desire is to plant, in order to move the kingdom 1% in 10 years, the desire is to plant 11,000 new churches in our nation that multiply themselves one time. So that means 11,000 churches, each one of those churches plants another church for a total of 22,000 churches, and each of those churches would have 125 new believers. We're not talking about 125 people in the congregation. We're talking about 125 new believers on average in each church. Now, realizing, of course, that a lot of churches are in rural areas, and we don't even have 125 people. We'll see how that will work out here in Colorado in a minute. But, you know, there are bigger churches that will help fill in that gap. So that is their goal. That is a lofty goal. What does that look like? 22,000 new churches reaching 125 lost people each. Over 10 years means 2.75 million new believers New believers in 10 years. That's huge. That's huge. So what does that look like in Colorado? We have, this is, sorry, this is where I got the number. (laughs) 5.77 million people living in our state, right? And 85% of that total is considered to be lost. We have about 4.9 million lost people in the state of Colorado. To reach 1%, we need to plant 390 new churches over 10%, or over 10 years. So 390 new churches times 125 new believers each equals 49,077 new Christians in 10 years, just in our state alone. 
That's a lot of new Christians in 10 years. Here's the problem, though, or the opportunity, if you will. We currently plan about 18 churches a year. We would need to up that to 39 churches a year. So there's work to do. But God has called us to do a great work. And here in the valley, um, as we go down and we drill this down, we went to the AVBA meeting yesterday, Matt and I did, and Dennis as well, our Arkansas Valley Baptist Association meeting. And by the way, Madeline was there celebrating her 18th birthday. What a gift. What a gift to go to the association meeting on your 18th birthday. Anyway, so what does that look like in the valley? What does that look like in the Arkansas Valley? We learned that, that there's, in our eight counties of what we consider to be in the Arkansas Valley, we have 62,700 total population approximately. 21,238 live where there is a church. So it's about 40,000 do not have a gospel presence in their area. Now here's the real sobering fact that Matt and I were still talking about this morning, and, and I know Dennis, this is probably blowing you away too. This is the statistic we found. 400 people, only 400 people in the Arkansas Valley attend a gospel-centered Southern Baptist church. Only 400. And of that, just think about this, of that, probably three-quarters of them are in a church in Lamar, here in La Junta, um, Rocky uh, Fowler, and a couple of other churches. We, there aren't very many churches that are covering that 400 people. That's only 0.6% of the population of just our eight counties that are actually attending a gospel-centered church, an SBC church. Now, in a lot of those towns and hamlets that are out there, an SBC church might be the only church that actually preaches the true gospel. So to not have a gospel presence in those places is devastating. Now, what does that look like for us? Next slide, please. Is that a problem or an opportunity? Is that impossible or possible? Do we give up or do we get going? Next slide, please. I want you to meet a guy that I met uh, on Thursday. His name is Elayu. In 27 years in Ethiopia, this man alone has planted 9,026 churches. Now, keep in mind that in Africa, the model for planting churches is a lot different than it is in the United States. It doesn't mean that Dennis is going super slow and you should have had 10,000 churches planted by now. In there, you know, Overseas, in some areas like in Ethiopia, if you get four to five people and a leader, there's a church. So you can do one in like a couple of days if you have a trained person to lead. But still, 9,026 churches, which have multiplied into 21,456 in seven countries. This man who I have my arm around, that's him. The picture's a little fuzzy, I apologize for that. He has trained hundreds of thousands of church planners. So when we think about that, we think, okay, what does God want in my life? Sometimes we think, There's, I have nothing to give. There's nothing I can do for the kingdom of God. God can't use me. In our church, we will not use the word can't any longer. If you say, I won't, that's okay, because won't is different. That means you just don't want to. But can't, with a God like this, we can. We can, if you want to. If you want to be used by God, look at what God did with one man. Look at what God did with 12 ordinary people. Look at what God did himself by bringing the gospel through the cross in his power of his resurrection we can reach the valley listen i want us to be encouraged this church here in la junta la junta is is a spoke we are a hub 
we are right in the middle of the southeast corridor of Colorado. We're like an hour and a half from Lyman, an hour from Pueblo, an hour to two hours from New Mexico. We are um, an hour from Lamar. We are in a strategic place. And we talk about this town being a place that we don't want to live. Everybody wants to get out of here as fast as they can. Why? God's put you here for a reason. God has a work for us to do here. God put us here in La Junta, Colorado to reach Southeast Colorado for him. Who's with me on this? Amen. Yeah. God is good. God is good. And I want us to be excited. So, next slide. So again, is this a problem or an opportunity? I see an opportunity. Is it impossible or possible? Well, if we relied on ourselves, of course, it would be impossible. But with God, everything is possible. We read the Great Commission. It's what he has called us to do. So are we going to give up because it's too hard? Are we going to get going because we like to do hard things? In this church, we like to do hard things. Some of you are shaking your head, I don't like to do hard things. But I'm telling you, you will love to do hard things. I have seen hard things done and God given the glory and we received the blessing. We are going to plant a church in Los Animas. We are going to send Dennis and his family out. That's why they came here. We are going to finish the work. We are going to help Matt replant that church in Monte Vista to God's glory. And then we're going to look for the next thing. In fact, we should pray for the next thing now. And who are you here today? What is God calling you to do that you are not doing? I know that there are people here whom God has already called. I, I look at my own life and I go, why did God call me? I was nothing. I was nobody. I didn't even know him. And in 1991, a pastor sat across from me. I, I barely knew where Genesis was in the Bible. And he said, I believe God is calling you into ministry. And from that point on, God molded my life to bring me here to this moment where I am right now. And God can do the same for you. God, God can do that. And I, and I want us to be excited. I want us to be praying about what does God want from each of us to do. Not everyone is called to go. Some people are called to stay, thank goodness, so that we'll have people here. But on a Sunday morning, when we're here, and maybe there's ten people here, because everybody else is out doing a work. They're in Los Animas, or they're in Monte Vista. I will be so excited if that is how our church is. We are a sending church. We don't hold on to people forever. We train them, we raise them, and we send them out. And that's what we're going to do. And I want you to be a part of that. I want you to be excited about where God is going and where he is taking us. Because there are exciting times ahead. Exciting times ahead. So, start praying about what God wants from you. Where do you need to be obedient? Where is God calling you? Is he helping you now to stay here and be a part of a training program that we're going to start to raise leaders up and send them out as missionaries, as church planners? You know that we also support a missionary and his family in South Asia, in the Max. We have Jessica who's getting ready to move to France. This church is doing a great work, and God will continue to use it in a mighty and powerful way, of which I am very proud to be a part of this place. I am very proud, and I'm grateful to God for all of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, I just thank you, Lord, for, for the work that you are doing nationally, Lord, globally even in Colorado and here in the Arkansas Valley. How humbling it is for us to be a part of it, Lord, to love you and to just be obedient to you.
and just to allow you to work in each of our lives to do what you have called us to do. And that's to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples of all nations, Lord. To teach them about you, Lord. And to make new disciples who make disciples. To plant churches that plant churches. Father God, we love you. And we pray that you use us. And for those of us that are here today who need to hear your calling in their life, I pray, God, that you would yell loud in them. That you will yell loud in them, Lord. And they will hear you. And they will obey. And this church will help them in any way to send them where you want them to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So, now we'll have a shorter message. <laughs> God is good, is he not? I mean, it's amazing to see what he is doing. And our passage today is Galatians 4, 12 through 20. And when we come to a passage like this, it can be a little bit difficult to give sometimes. If the congregation is like the congregation in Galatia. A congregation that once upon a time was a loving and kind congregation to Paul to become a congregation that Paul doesn't even recognize. He isn't even clear whether they see him as friend or foe. But this, as I have just said, I want to tell you here at Calvary in La Junta, you do not resemble the church in Galatia. You are a loving, kind, and supportive congregation. You here today, and those of you who, um, if you are listening online, who have been a part of us for a while, the people that I know have treated Matt, Dennis, and myself very well. You are kind and loving to all of us. You are supportive. Sometimes, sometimes we do have our disagreements, but for the most part, I have no complaints over any of you. But I will say this, though. As we go through this passage, there are parts of it that all of us need to pay attention to. As we go further in Galatians 4, 12 through 20, you'll see what I mean. We have to learn how to discern right from wrong, truth from error, and friend from foe. To remind ourselves of where we were in Galatians before Resurrection Sunday last week, let's take just a quick reminder of, of this passage that we've come out of. Paul has gone from the has gone from the joyful reminder of faith in Christ alone and allows us, and he's just telling them that it allows us to become children of God. And if we are children of God, then we are heirs to the kingdom of God. An inheritance that is for all who believe in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior, who put their faith and trust in Him alone. Everyone who is not trying to win His favor through works. Because our deeds are like filthy rags. They will not get us to heaven. Now as Paul's talking to the Galatians, he's reminding them that they are no longer slaves to the law. As we are no longer slaves to sin because of Christ fulfilling God's wrath and taking it on the cross for us. Next, Paul rebukes the Galatians regarding their desire to listen to these false Judaizers who want to make them slaves again. In our last message in Galatians two weeks ago, he asked the question, why would you ever go back to slavery after you've tasted freedom in Christ? In our passage this morning, Paul takes his rebuke even further and presses into the Galatian church and why they want to replace their dear kinship with Paul for the flattery and lies of the false teaching Judaizers. The slave drivers, if you will. This passage, we really, in this passage, we really get a taste of the pastor side of Paul. Not just the theologian of Paul. He is a shepherd, which is what Matt and I and Dennis want to be as pastors. We want to be shepherd pastors. Now, a shepherd pastor, we have four tasks regarding that, regarding our people, our flock. And the first one is to know them. The second one is to feed them. The third one is to lead them. And the fourth one is to protect them. 
And we'll see Paul performing all four of these tasks as he pleads with the Galatians to live rightly. And we'll see four points in this passage. So let's, let's pray and then we'll read our passage and we'll get started. Father, again we come before you and just ask, Lord, that you would bring out your truth in this word, Lord, to this message that you've given me to give this morning. I pray, God, that it would be your voice that we hear and not mine. Spirit, may you convict us where we need to be convicted, Lord, and encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Father, I pray this that would be said all to your glory and your glory alone. Amen. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to, to Galatians 4, starting in verse 12, we start out with, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that, they may make much of, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. That's a strong message that Paul ends this part of chapter 4. And the first point that we have is that Paul is urging them to follow Christ as he is. Galatians 4.12, he says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. And that might be a little confusing, so in the New Living Translation, it might make it a little bit easier to understand. In the New Living Translation, it reads like this, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. Now this really opens up what Paul is getting at in verse 12. In the previous passage, Paul wondered why anyone would go back to be slaves to the law again after they've tasted the freedom of Christ's death and resurrection. Specifically, he has been talking about circumcision and following the feasts in the Jewish calendar. Remember, as we learned earlier in our study in Galatians, if you decide to follow one of the Mosaic laws, you must follow all of them. Romans 2.25 tells us, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. James tells us in chapter 2, verse 10 of his book, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You see, if you decide to follow the law, then you must follow the entire law. We cannot pick and choose which parts we like and which parts we don't like. And that is why you become a slave to the law. Because once you choose to do that, once the Galatians choose to go back and listen to these false teachers, then they become slaves again to the law that Christ has already fulfilled and given us freedom from. In this section here, this one verse, we see Paul performing the first task of a shepherd. He knows his flock. He knows the Galatians, and he knows what they are trying to do. He is also protecting them by pointing out what they are doing is harmful to themselves. He is leading them back home to the true gospel of Christ by urging them to place their faith in Christ alone again. And not on works, not on the law, and not on circumcision. And Paul is 
feeding his people the truth of Christ. The food that lasts. The food that saves. Now let's see how he does this. You see, Paul is urging. He's even begging is what that word means. He's begging these Gentile Galatians to be like him. He's reminding them that he once followed the law to the letter. And he thought he was doing right by God. But Paul encountered the risen Christ. And he found that he was wrong. And he found grace and mercy by following him. He is no longer a slave. He is free. His experience is one we can learn from. One the Galatians can learn from. And the Galatians who were once free, but now they are hearing other voices, false voices who are trying to pull them away from the truth. Paul is not gently suggesting. He is begging them with everything that is in him to stop heading down this track back to slavery. But here's the hard part of being a shepherd pastor. We can plead and beg and cry and try to keep you from heading down the wrong road, but we can't stop you. If you want to do that and ruin your life and your faith, you can and you will. But we pray for you. We plead with the Lord for you and your walk with Him as Paul did for all the churches he started. But as with the Galatian people, we can't stop you from yourselves. The Holy Spirit can, but only if you're listening to Him. But it is out of our love for our people that we go to the Lord for you. It's why we knock on your door to rebuke you sometimes and point out sin so that we can lead you back to the truth. The job of shepherding, the job of protecting you from yourselves can be the hardest task that we have. And this is what Paul is doing here in verse 12. And as we continue further into our passage, we look at verses 13 through 15. And this is where Paul as a shepherd knows his flock and we can see that there is a change and he sees that there is a change in how they are acting. Let's see what he says. And this brings us to our second point, if you're taking notes. What happened to your love and your generosity towards me? Galatians 4, 13 through 15. This is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Paul points out that when he first came to Galatia, he was very ill. The Galatians knew the, the illness that Paul had, so it is assumed and not given as to what Paul had. And Paul doesn't reveal it, so it's not really for us to know. But it must have been something that made him look very unsightly, possibly affecting his eyes. Some suggested he had malaria. But again, we, we aren't to know. It's only speculation, and it's never good to speculate outside of God's Word. And by speculating, then we miss the point. We miss the point of what Paul is trying to make. And the point that Paul is trying to make is this. When Paul went there, hideous as he must have been, they treated him like they would have treated an angel from the Lord. Paul, as a messenger, they treated him like an angel. They treated him with care, with love, with acceptance. They cared for him so much they would have gouged their eyes out and given them to him if that would have helped him. Again, we don't know for sure if, if Paul means they literally would have gouged their eyes out or whether he is using an example of an extreme metaphor for the level of loving care that they provided for him. 
But Paul points out his ailment was a trial for them. And that trial did not stop them. They willingly helped him. Then he says, what happened to you in your blessedness? Again, the the New Living Translation says, where is your joyful and grateful spirit you had? What happened to them was they started listening to false teachers who were dragging them back into slavery. It was breaking Paul's shepherd heart. No pastor's heart wouldn't break over his people's ears being twitched by a false teacher. And then as we turn to verses 16 and 17, Paul begins to point out these fabricated motives that these Judaizers had. They are dividers, not uniters. They don't play nicely with others. The deceivers are attempting to pull the Galatians away from Paul, making him the enemy. The one who brought them the truth and freedom. Paul is leading them back to the truth by feeding them the gospel. Point three is, these are not your friends. They only want to destroy you. Galatians 4, 16-17, starting in verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. In verse 16, Paul asks a question that must be painful for him to even ask. Have I become your enemy by bringing you the truth? There are times when when that is a question sometimes we might ask of our people because they don't want to hear it. Sometimes the truth is painful. It's not always popular. Sometimes it comes as a rebuke or a correction. Leading is not always fun. I can tell you as a manager of a group, before I became a pastor of of a group of 10 people in a Fortune 500 company where we were responsible for all of our production being completed and being on call 24-7, 365, and being held to a very high standard of where our rate of success went from 93% to over 98% in the four years that I did that. That's not to brag about what I did. It was to teach them and to show them about what standard we live by. We have to challenge ourselves to be better. We have to challenge ourselves as Christians to trust the one who brings us the truth in Christ. Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 reminds us of this important truth of God's Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is all profitable. It is all helpful. Sometimes so we can be corrected when we are wrong. It points us to the right way of living that God has for us, for our good and His glory. It completes us and it equips us for every good work our Lord has for us to do like we just talked about before we started this sermon of reaching the lost here in the valley and around the world. We need to know what God's Word says so that we can teach it rightly. All of it. Not just the parts we like. We should love all of it. All of it is from God. Sometimes the food we feed you is like chocolate ice cream. But sometimes it's spinach. But all of it is good for you. All of it. As your shepherds here at Calvary, we pray for you. 
We pour over the Scriptures to know them so that we can protect you against false teachers who want to deceive you and pull you away from the truth. We agonize over your spiritual growth. Real tears are shed over you. If you are called to leave, to go, to do real God-driven ministry in other places, we rejoice with you. We are excited for you. We want to help you fulfill what God's calling is in your life. But if you leave because you disagree with us or don't like our teaching or don't like the truth of God or somebody else is bringing you a false message and you want to go there, then we mourn over you. We hurt for you. It's like a dagger to our heart. In verse 17, we see the deceiver's tactics. They were flattering the Galatians, but their flattery was to not really shine the light on the Galatians, but so that the Galatians would make much of the deceivers. This is how our enemy Satan works. And we must be on guard. We must learn to discern between good and evil. 1 John 3.10 helps us determine what right is from wrong. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John says that those who have evil in the hearts, in their hearts, are those who do not practice righteousness and do not love their brother or their sister. These people trying to pull the Galatians away were not practicing either of those. They weren't showing love to their brother and they certainly weren't practicing righteousness. These people were not really their friends. They were not of the truth. They are of the devil. And we need to be watching and not allowing ourselves to be deceived as the Galatians are. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says this, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Our enemy is always looking to deceive and take God's people down. We must keep a sober mind, meaning staying focused on God and His Word. Test what we hear against the Word of God. Meaning you must know the Word of God. If you are unsure if something is true or not, ask. Ask me, ask Matt, ask Dennis. Ask people you trust who know the Word of God whether or not what this person you heard on the radio or on TV or what you read on the internet of all places is telling you the truth. And then learn to go to God's Word yourself and ask Him to point out to you truth from error. Ask, pray, keep your mind on the things of God and the devil will flee from you. Ephesians 6.12, Paul writes this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This battle we are in is is not for us to fight by ourselves. We need the protection of our church, our pastor elders, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but above all, we need the protection of our Lord who promises us to give it and does if we're listening. And we put our faith and trust in Him. Instead of seeking flattery, as the Galatians are doing, let us remember to remain humble and live in the grace and the love of our living Savior, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for us. Do you think that these Judaizers did anything like that for them? No. Because they can't. They can't. Only Christ saves in Him alone. And as we finish this passage up, Paul reminds the Galatians of his anguish over them. His shepherd's heart weeps and it breaks for them 
Because they are headed away from the Lord and back to a life of slavery, to the law, and of works, and of circumcision. A life where they will never have an assurance of their salvation in Christ and Christ alone. They will keep working and working, never knowing if they have done enough. As Paul wrote in the previous passage, if, if you have tasted freedom in Christ and assurance of your faith in Him and Him alone, why would you turn back? Why are you listening to these deceivers who are trying to pull you back into the darkness? Which brings us to our fourth point. I anguish over you and long to be there with you, Paul says. Galatians 4, 18-20, starting in verse 18. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. In verse 18, Paul reminds the Galatians that the Judaizers are not consistent in their message. They seem to bring this false flattery only when they were in the presence of Paul. And behind his back, they speak ill against him. Again, a trait of a false teacher. A tell for the Galatians to turn away, to turn back to the truth that Paul is feeding them. They are already children of God because of their faith in Christ alone and what Christ has done for them. The Judaizers can do nothing for them. They are already heirs to the kingdom of God. They already have the favor of God. Getting circumcised and following the Jewish calendar and the whole Jewish law will not gain them any more favor of God than they already have. In verse 19, Paul describes the anguish he is going through for them and how extremely painful it is for him. He likens it to labor pains. I know you women that have had babies know what that's like. Us men, and Paul uses this, we, we can't possibly know that pain. Like uh, a comedian once said, it's like passing a bowling ball through the eye of a needle. It can't imagine the pain of childbirth. But this is the extreme pain, the intense effort that Paul is saying that he strives to keep the Galatians from this unnecessary track back to slavery instead of conforming into the image of their beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. To learn to live for Him and Him alone and to learn to live in the freedom and joy and assurance of their salvation that they already have because of what Christ did for them. But, as we all know, leading stubborn sheep takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. Stubborn sheep don't always want to go where you want to lead them. And as we've gone over this time and time again, we cannot add anything to what Jesus has already done for us. Now in our lives, as we know and we've talked about before, circumcision may not be that big of an issue for us. But there are other things today that people will try to add to the cross in the empty tomb. Here are two common ones that came up just this week in conversations with people. One, speaking in tongues. You've heard of that. We're not going to get into that. We do not have time to get into that today. But there are churches out there that say that if you do not speak in tongues, you do not have the Holy Spirit and you are not saved. Does that sound like Christ alone to you? So what does that sound like? False teaching, absolutely false teaching, because only Christ can save. No works that you do, speaking in tongues does not save you. Again, we're not going to get into the theology of that because there are different views on that and we just don't have time to delve in that today. But I want to share this with you. If it were true 
If it were true that you cannot be saved if you don't speak in tongues, then Sherry and I are not saved. I've never spoken tongues. I've never even asked. I assure you that I am going to heaven. I assure you that I am saved. I am a called saint by God. I am His child. He shed His blood for me and Sherry. We're both, you'll, both, you'll see both of us in heaven is what I'm trying to say. I know that's a false truth because our faith is based on Christ alone and not anything that we do. The second one is the wealth and prosperity gospel. That's popular today, right? Again, there are false teachers out there today who preach that if you have enough faith, then God will bless you with great prosperity. And prosperity means wealth and material things. Just give them enough money for their ministries and God will bless you too. What a scam. Do you know who the ones who are getting rich off of that? They are. God has made no such promise to us. That is false teaching. Success for a Christian is to be a servant, to put others above self, not to try and make ourselves rich with money and material things. Jesus said we are to do the things of God, to love Him and to love others and place our treasures in heaven where they will never run out. An heir to the kingdom of God, we will have spiritual wealth beyond anything our minds can conceive. We can plant 9,000 churches. We can train hundreds of thousands of church planters. We can become a hub here in La Junta and be a gateway to, churn, to train planters and pastors and missionaries to be sent out all over southeast Colorado, the nation and the world. We can do that if we place our treasures in the right place, in Him and Him alone. Finally, in verse 20, tells us that Paul is telling the Galatians that he is perplexed with them. Meaning he is not sure exactly how to reach them and what tone he should take to get them through their stubbornness to fall away from the Judaizers and back to the truth. Now look, as a parent, I know that there is more than one way to talk to your kids to get through to them. Sometimes a strong tone is needed. Sometimes a soft yet stern voice is better. Sometimes silence is effective. Usually we find the right tone after we use the wrong one first. But it is more difficult for Paul because he is not there to see the Galatians face to face and to talk to them. So from afar, he is in anguish. An anguish brought about by his shepherd's love for them and his flock. Paul, the shepherd pastor, his heart is aching for his people. It is breaking over where they are headed because they have decided to listen to these false teachers and follow them. This will lead them to deceit, to destruction, and divisiveness. And as a shepherd pastor myself, I can relate to Paul. I've seen people head towards destruction, thinking they were listening to friends, thinking they were listening to voices that are helpful, but instead leading them back to places where they had been already freed by Christ. And my heart has been broken and has been in anguish. I have not cried as much as I do now in prayer over all of you. I used to pray, but I never cried when I prayed. But now, regularly, I cry when I pray over you. The burden of a pastor is real. And the spiritual forces we deal with are real. We are here to know you, to feed you, to lead you, and to protect you. And I was thinking through this as I was writing this, which one is the hardest? I came up with it, all of them is the hardest. 
We pray, we beg, we weep for the Lord to help us lead you in the truth of Christ. We pray for your souls and your spiritual growth. We don't want you to fall into the trap that the Galatians fell into. And we must believe in a God who is bigger than our minds can conceive. A God who can keep all of His promises. A God who saves us by dying on a cross for us. A God who took our punishment for our sins upon Himself. A God who raised Himself from the tomb after lying there for three days. A God who took 12 ordinary men who changed the world by the power of His Spirit that He placed in each one of them. A God who calls us feeble people into a service to shepherd His flocks. So I urge you, do not listen to those who try to distract you from the truth in Christ. In Christ alone. By faith alone to the glory of God alone. This is what the Scriptures alone tell us. It is by God's grace alone that we are saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this message. This message of hope that you've given us to the Galatians. Lord, we, we love you so. And Lord, I love these people. As I know Matt loves these people. And Dennis loves Los Animas, Lord. It is the most important city to him, and I praise God that he feels that way. La Junta is the most important city for us. Monta Vista is the most important city coming up for Matt. And we pray, God, that you would bring us success in leading your people to you. This is not about us. You are the hero of the story. We are just players, Lord. We are just used by you. And we are grateful to be used by you. Lord, I just pray, God, that if there are people here today who don't know you, that they would come to know you today. But if there are people here today who are hearing your voice to be called into your service, Lord, I pray that you scream it in a way that they cannot say no. That they hear you loud and clear. And they move toward you in that direction. And we would see people raised up and sent out continually from this church here in La Junta, Colorado. For your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray.